0: Amen. Our scripture reading for today comes from the book of Colossians, chapter 1, verses 15 through 20. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for in him all things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers, all things have been created through him and for him. He himself is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have a first place in everything. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him God was pleased to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of His cross. And you, who were once estranged and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, He is now reconciled in His fleshly body through death, so as to present you holy, blameless, and irreproachable before Him provided that you continue securely established and steadfast in the faith without shifting from the hope promised by the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven. I, Paul, became a minister of this gospel. I am now rejoicing in my suffering for your sake, and in my flesh I am completing what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body. That is the church. I became its minister according to God's commission that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery that has been hidden throughout the ages and generations, but now has been revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of his majesty, of of this mystery which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. It is he whom we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone in all wisdom, so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for this word. We thank you, Lord, because we know that you're going to speak to us through it. We thank you for Jesus Christ, the one in whom we hope, the one that sustains our world. Help us, O Lord, to learn more about Him today through this scripture. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Most scholars think that this scripture comes from a poem or a hymn of the early church that basically described what they believed in Jesus. Most of us are familiar with some of the creeds of the church. Anybody know the Apostles' Creed? Several of you do. Have you heard of the Nicene Creed? Yeah, some of you have heard that one. There's all kinds of creeds that the church has put together, especially in the early church, in the first three centuries. They, there was a lot of debate, a lot of discussion about who exactly was Jesus and what exactly was his role. Was he truly God? Was he a prophet? Was he a leader? It was, it was hotly debated, believe it or not, in the first three centuries. There were some people that wanted to make Jesus a great prophet and leader but did not want to acknowledge him as the Son of God. And so the early church wrestled with this and eventually came down to the position that we see expressed here in Colossians that Jesus was not just another leader, that Jesus was not just another prophet, that Jesus was indeed a lot more than that that he was God in the flesh. Paul tells the Colossians that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. And there's a conundrum for you. When I say image, you immediately think about what? Something you can see. But Jesus is the image of the invisible God. How do you take a picture of something that's invisible? Ah, now I got you thinking. How do you do that? How do you take a picture of something that's unknowable? Because when we hear the word invisible, we think of of invisible in terms of we can't see it. But the original Greek, the word invisible there means also unknowable. What Paul is trying to tell us is that Jesus is the image of the unknowable God. That God is so great, so unfathomable, that we can't even comprehend him with our mind and with our understanding. And that therefore, because he is so unknowable, we had to get Jesus to show us what he was like. The Greek word for uh, image here is Aikon, E I K O N. And it expresses two different ideas. The first one is the likeness as an image on a coin, like when you see the likeness of a person on the face of a coin. The second one is the sense of the manifestation of something that is unknown, that is being revealed, something that is a mystery that is being made known to us. In the first one, of course, we think of coins, we think of mirrors that give us back a reflection of our own image, right? In the second one, we think about something that was unknown and now has been made known to us in a new way. Paul was trying to say that Jesus is not merely a representation of God, but actually God in the flesh. He was trying to say that he came to reveal God to us in a new way. A God that was so invisible and unknowable that we could not get to him before Jesus. I read a scholar trying to explain just how unknowable God is. Because as you look at scripture, you find that there are references in the Old Testament of just how far above us God is in terms of the gap between us and God. You remember what happened when Moses said, let me see your face? And God said, "Uh, if you saw me, you would surely die. He said, if you saw me, you would surely die. Why? Because God is so unknowable that seeing God would be like trying to hold on to a high voltage wire with your hand. It would crisp you. It's so unknowable, so great, so unfathomable that that it just would blow your mind to be able to gaze on God. And so God is so unknowable that there had to be a more approachable way for us to know Him, come in Jesus, the Son of God. Jesus came so that He would reveal God to us in a new and knowable way, in a personal way, in a tangible way, to show us through example, through the way he lived, through the way he taught, through the way he related to others, what God was really like. Jesus said, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. He didn't say you've seen sort of a reflection of the Father. You've seen hints of the Father. No, he said to know me, to see me, is to see the Father. He was letting us know there that he was truly God. Paul goes on to say that Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. The Greek word here is prototokos. Prototokos. Everybody three times fast. Prototokos. Prototokos. Prototokos describes the priority of Jesus in time and the supremacy of Jesus in rank. Those are two distinct things. The first one means... Jesus has been since before we were, and he was never created because he's always been because he's truly God. And the second one is that he is supreme in rank over all things. He's above all things. There's nothing above him. He's at the top. Well, when you think about those two definitions, something that has always been and something that is above all things, what do you immediately think about? God. What was Paul saying? Paul was saying Jesus is God. By him, he says, all things were created. Jesus is the author of creation. He is the great logos, the word through which all things came into being. You remember Genesis? God said and things came into being and then he said it was good. He is the author of creation. But he's more than that. He says he is the one that sustains creation. He is the one that keeps it together. He didn't just make it and go off and he's done and it's over and creation just sits over here on the side doing its own thing. He says, through him, all things are sustained. When we look at all that God has created through Jesus, we worship and honor him even more. How many of you have seen the recent images of galaxies? If you see those images... And you still don't believe there's a God, I don't know what to tell you. I mean, to see the majesty of the created order that God has made, and to say that there's no God behind that just blows my mind. Because if you read some of these descriptions of some of the pictures, one of the pictures even has three galaxies that rotate around each other in orbits, forming a perfect pattern that keeps them in sync with each other perpetually. That just doesn't happen by chance. That just doesn't happen because of some big explosion and bang. Uh, Last time I checked, nothing good is created out of explosion. You know? But here is a picture that shows us in the creations this whole idea and concept of God making things so that things fit with each other and things flow with each other in such a majestic way that it reflects the glory of God. Scripture says that the heavens remind us of the glory of God, but they also reveal to us the supremacy of Christ, the one who keeps all things together, the one who continues to sustain creation even today. See, it's not just that he made everything, it's that he sustains everything even today. Paul makes it clear that nothing is left out. You know, whenever we want to talk about supremacy, we often talk about being supreme over certain things and then we leave something out. You know, I'm supremely good at eating pizza, but don't give me veggies. (laughs) You know, we leave something out. I'm supreme over this. I'm supreme over, you know, my household doing this, but I'm not great about your, your work, whatever. We always have a deficiency in somewhere. When it comes to Jesus, there is no deficiency. The scripture says that he is supreme over all things. And Paul says that includes thrones, dominions, principalities, powers. And this is a radical message in the church of Colossia, because they have a lot of Romans in their city. They're a Gentile city, and they had emperor worship. And to say that anything was supreme, and it wasn't the emperor that you were mentioning, was almost rebellious and seditious. You were going against the established order and the religious practices. Because they worshiped the emperor almost as king. And Paul basically says, no, Jesus is supreme. Even over the emperor, even over the empire, even over the governing authorities, even over the institutions, even over everything that you can put in there. He is supreme and above all things. People back then worshiped the empire because it brought some stability. You know, they talked about the, the barbaric hordes outside of the empire that kind of ran rampant, but the empire brought peace. Never mind that it did so through force and through armies and through killing and through all kinds of coercion. And in a situation like this, Paul basically says, no, the empire is not the greatest supreme thing in the land. Jesus actually is. He is the most important. Paul goes on to describe Christ as the head of the body, the church. Again, defying Roman convictions and beliefs about the emperor. You know, everybody in the Roman Empire was supposed to worship the emperor as God. They were supposed to adore the Caesar. Anytime the Caesar put out a decree, it was was like the word of God coming down. And they were supposed to obey it. And here is Paul saying, nope. When it comes to who you follow and who directs the life of the church and who directs what you do as the body of Christ, Christ is the head. Not the state. Not the institution. Not anything else. It's only Jesus. Christ is also the expression and the embodiment of God's own being. The scripture tells us that God poured himself out into human form and became flesh and dwelt among us. Why? Why did he do that? In order to reconcile us to himself through the cross. In order to show us the fullness of God. Christ becomes the means for us to be at peace with God. It is through forgiveness that is bought at the cross, that we are able to come before God as those who have been forgiven and reconciled from our sin. It is only through the blood of Jesus that was spilled on the cross that we are able to have peace with God. It is only through what Jesus did and being raised from the dead that we could even hope for eternal life. If he hadn't done it, we wouldn't have any hope. There'd be no chance of us doing it. There'd be no way of us doing it. And there will be nothing that we could do for ourselves to save ourselves. Why is Paul saying all this to the church of Colossia? Because they had some false teachers that were coming into town. There was always false teachers. They were there back then and they're still here now. They're still around us today. There were some false teachers coming into Colossia that were telling the people they needed to seek some ecstatic visions of angels or to perform a series of ascetic practices and deprive themselves of certain things in order to be able to be close to God and to be able to experience salvation. And Paul basically says, it isn't so. He counters this claim by saying, Christ is all you need for salvation. And in Christ you have been reconciled to God, period, end of story. Your reconciliation, your justification comes about that moment that you declare Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. From there on, you move into a new life of holiness, of trying to walk rightly before God. But make no mistake, getting to that point is only an act of faith and grace in Jesus Christ. Having established the supremacy of Christ, Paul moves down to the individual level, reminding the readers of the letter, including us, that at one point we were all estranged and hostile to the gospel of Jesus Christ. That at one point we were all living in the flesh, doing whatever we wanted, but that now that we have been reconciled to Christ, now that we have been redeemed by His grace, now that He has covered our sin through His blood, We must present ourselves, mind, body, and soul to God as holy and blameless and irreproachable. Now that's a tall order. Y'all ready to present yourselves before God as holy, blameless, and irreproachable? Ooh, that's hard, isn't it? That only makes sense when you look at what he has just said. That only makes sense when you understand what he had just finished saying, which is basically that when we come to know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, he has washed away our sins. He has covered us through his sacrifice. And that is what makes us holy, blameless, and irreproachable before God. It is not anything we did. It is what he did on the cross that is attributed to us as righteousness. Paul wants us to continue to be secure in our faith and not lose it. He says, don't let them confuse you. Don't let them lead you astray through false philosophies. Don't let them tell you that you have to do anything but know Jesus in order to arrive at salvation. Paul wants them to know that they belong to Christ, and Christ belongs to them. And he wants them to hold on to that faith when all of these false teachers come into town with all of their requirements and all of their demands. It really took Jesus dying on the cross and being raised from the dead for us to have any hope of salvation. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. Finally, Paul tells them that he is rejoicing in his suffering for their sake. Because he knows his suffering is so that they, the church, will continue to receive the word of God fully. Now that statement only makes sense to you when you realize that Paul is writing from prison. He's writing from jail. His present suffering is not some ideology or some imaginary suffering or some future suffering. It's a current situation. He is currently being held Because of his belief in Jesus Christ. But even in the middle of his suffering, he sees that God is using him to bring the word of God more fully to the churches. Did you know that most of Paul's great letters came when he was in prison? You know why? Because the rest of the time he was too busy going out there and doing the work of ministry. But when he was in jail and he had no other choice but to sit down and listen from God and record what God wanted the churches to hear, he was able to write a lot of the New Testament that we read today and that we follow today. Through this suffering, he says, I was able to make the word of God more fully known to you and I have been able to share with you the mystery that has been revealed in Christ and that has been hidden through the ages and the generations and that has now been made known to us in Jesus Christ. The mystery that he describes is that Jesus is ours and we are his, that he dwells within us, that he has saved us from our sin. He says, if you know Jesus, you have the hope, of glory if you know jesus you have the hope of eternity if you know jesus you have been redeemed of your sin if you know jesus you have salvation through his blood it is him we proclaim he says in the hopes of teaching everyone in all wisdom so that they may present themselves to god as mature in christ Anytime somebody mentions the word mature, I always ask, according to who? Because if you compare me to my sister, I'm very mature. You compare me to my dad, I'm very immature. Right? We always talk about maturity in comparison to somebody else, right? Or something else. But when he talks about maturity, maturity in Christ, what is Paul trying to get at? He's saying that we need to have a clear understanding of what he has stated so far about who Jesus is, what Jesus did, and where Jesus stands in terms of his supremacy and his power. That Jesus is God in the flesh, the one in whom all creation is built on and who sustains everything even to this day. He says this is the richness of, of the glory of the mystery, that Christ is in us, the hope of glory. And that's awesome news. That's the good news that Paul wanted them to continue to share and that we need to share today, that when you have Jesus, you have it all. But the opposite is also true. If you don't have Jesus, you have nothing. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you. I thank you for Jesus. I thank you for the revelation that you gave us in him, O Lord, so that we would be able to know you better, to know who you are, to know how much you love us, to understand the richness of your your love and of your glory. Lord, on this day, as as we celebrate Jesus and his supremacy in our lives, Help us to continue to to deal with Jesus as our Lord and our Savior, as the one who should be the head of the body, the one who leads us in our decisions, the one who leads us in everything we do in our lives, the one who has set an example for each and every one of us to follow. Help us to know, O Lord, that we are saved through grace and faith in Him, and that through Him we will have the hope of glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The altar is always open if you would like to come up for prayer as we uh, continue worship.